This episode contains conversations around suicide and self-harm. Listener discretion is advised. Shaken and disturbed, everyone. As always, I'm Darren Carp, Mama. No, Daddy. You are Cats. Daddy Cat. How dare you take my title like that? I could. I totally appropriated you, and I'm so sorry. Here with John Thrasher, Mama Bear, as always. And uh, how you doing, Johnny Boy? Well, I was doing well, but I think you know we addressed this on our NMR episode that's on Patreon right now. You can go and listen to that um, if you guys are signed up. If you're not, now's a good time to sign up. But last week's episode, you know, grandmother, grandfather cat, a.k.a. your mom. Yep. Um, yes. Yes. Gave us some details that my that the show did not upload correctly. We I want to just have that. I know we can't have that. We cannot make her mad. I just want to make a statement that I did everything right on my end. There was some sort of uploading glitch with our server and it only uploaded the first 19 minutes. It was fixed by, I think, 11 a.m. Eastern time that morning. And I definitely apologize. It's um, really not good enough for my mom. But I know. I want, I wanted to know how is your mom doing with uh, the bad Thanks news. Thanks for taking accountability. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. It's, least, it's my good. New Year's yeah. resolution. What else can yeah, I do? No. I can tell. Uh, no, she's totally fine. And we thank you guys out there on our Facebook for actually letting us know. We really yeah. always appreciate that. And uh, by the way, we have to let you guys know because we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. If you are part of our Truly Disturbed and Super Fan Levels of Patreon, one, thank you. And two, we are doing our first live stream of 2023, January 19th Ow. at 7.30 Eastern oh. Standard Time. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be on camera for it. You can always just, like, not be on camera and participate or hang out and listen to anything that you guys kind of want to talk about. It's really fun. It's intimate. And we always have, like, a really nice time. And it's just, like, a nice way to kind of, like, end your day or start your evening in any sort of way, depending on what coast you're in. So Yeah, that's why why we did 7.30 because a lot of you guys – we feel like even that 30 minutes can maybe help some of you guys who might be on too late or too early. So – we are open to feedback. If there's a certain time of the night that you want us to do it, let us know on Patreon or, or beyond. Yeah. And if you haven't signed up for Patreon, you can join us um, in the show notes or to go to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, all one word. And um, again, you do have to sign up for the super fan or the truly disturbed levels to get an invite. And we send the invite out about 30 minutes before the live stream starts. So it's a lot of fun. We Usually there's like 20 to 30, sometimes 40 people in there and we're playing games. We're going to do that again this uh, this month. We'll do some giveaways. You might win some shaken and disturbed merch. Who knows? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And maybe we'll have an update on all the gifts that are being sent out. We will. Hopefully they'll be sent by then. But yes, we will be. Well, let's get into today's case, John. Why don't you, why don't you kick yeah, us off? Yeah, let's get right into it. So I don't know if you knew this, but every year over 145 million people in the United States find themselves being admitted to hospitals for one reason or another. From And from birth to death, 
and all the aches and pains in between, people turn to medical professionals for guidance. This sounds like an ad. It's not. This I know, is backup information for guidance and assistance in some of the most crucial times of their lives. And the power to heal comes with great responsibilities. But what happens when that power, Darren, is given to the wrong person? That's my worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. My, and it's yep. so funny, by the way, as a side, my friend Regina my very, very, very first girlfriend, like back in college, she just passed her board. She's an emergency medicine doctor, and oh. she she just passed her board. She Congrats. passed the written last year, but she just passed the oral like today. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's so great. Now I can trust you. Because <laughs> otherwise you you couldn't during I the relationship. I said before that you know? when you're giving medical advice, yeah. I was like, absolutely not. She but doesn't know what she's talking so about. certified, so I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. So. It's good to know that you guys are on good terms like that, you know? Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. And, you know, it begs the question, what is what happens when the person who's supposed to be saving your life, Darren, is actually the one who is ending it? Yeah, that's what we're dealing with Terrifying. on today's episode. Now, Charles Cullen uh, worked at several different hospitals, no relation to Edward Cullen, as far as we're aware, um, for those of you oh, who no. love Twilight. Um, worked at several different hospitals throughout the his 15-year career as a nurse, but one thing remained constant throughout where he went, death seemed to follow. Uh, now listen, his name is Charles Edmund Cullen, and where he goes, death follows. I don't know. This Could this know. be the inspo that Unclear. Stephanie Myers uh, was looking for for that series? Yes. There's also another interesting fact you're about to get to that yeah, I want to say. That's right. Okay, good point. So um, he was born on February 22nd, 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. He was, Which is the town right next to <gasps> mine. I went many a time to West Orange, New Jersey. This is literally like yeah. two minutes away yeah. from me. Do you so. think you've ever been in a coffee shop with Charles Edmund Cullen? I don't think so. Don't think so? All right, let's no. see how this plays out. Maybe you're part of the details today. Maybe. He was the eighth and youngest child born to bus driver Edmund Cullen and his wife Florence. Now, Edmund passed away when Charles was only about seven months old, and he was predominantly raised by his mother and his older siblings. From a young age, Charles showed clear signs of mental illness and had begun attempting suicide at the tender age of nine years old. Oh. I mean, that's very, ugh, that just breaks my heart to even know that that's something a nine-year-old is thinking about, even knows about to some extent. Yeah. His earliest attempt included drinking a number of chemicals that had come with a chemistry set that he had been gifted you know, remember, it is 1960s. People are giving out chemistry sets to nine-year-olds. It's a whole I had thing. A chemistry, I had a chemistry stuff. Oh. Like we, I remember making slime with my dad and like oh, okay. mixing a bunch of things. It probably wasn't thinking, toxic, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> His tendencies to self-harm and attempt suicide is something he'd continue to do well into adulthood. I doubt that's something that necessarily goes away, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Charles was known as a quiet, awkward kid who was often picked on by his peers as well as his older sister's boyfriends. Mm. In 1977, the entire Cullen family would take a devastating hit when his when Charles's older sister and mother would get into a terrible car accident. His sister, who was driving, survived the accident, but their mother was not so lucky. The death of his mother devastated Charles, and his depression became so overwhelming that he dropped out of school later that year, never to return. I mean, this is a lot, right? Like, you're already having very serious mental health issues, then you're being bullied on top of all that, and then you lose a parent? Ugh. 
At 17, too. Yeah. Kind of re- like right at the cusp of you becoming an adult. I'm sure that has such an impact because you're old enough to really mm-hmm. have that affect you. Not that if your mom dies when you're eight, but it's like... You understand the severity so- differently, right? Exactly, exactly. I didn't mean to mansplain that, by the way. No, yeah, okay. please. We, no. D- we tend to help each other out from time to time, right? We're friends. You're We're friends. Friends-plaining. Yeah, not, not friends-plaining. I like that. That's good. Well, depressed and newly orphaned and desperate for some sort of direction, Charles turned to the military to help get his mind and his life back on track. He enlisted in the U.S. Navy in 1978, where he was assigned to the submarine corps and served in the ballistic missile submarine, the USS Woodrow Wilson. At first, he performed well, allowing him to climb the ranks to petty officer third class, However, it wasn't long before his mental instability became apparent to his fellow soldiers, which I feel like we all probably assume that's the direction we were going in here. Especially maybe under, you know, maybe being in the Navy or certainly in the military, but I imagine the immense pressure there and just, you know, getting into that, it might be exacerbated. According to his peers, he once served an entire shift while wearing nothing but a hospital gown, latex gloves, and a surgical mask, all of which had been stolen from the ship's medical supply. Now, odd, I guess, but not necessarily like... It does seem a little unstable, but not necessarily like it doesn't... I wouldn't say red flags are being risen necessarily, right? Well, thank God it doesn't seem to be harming anybody. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, exactly. He did, however, attempt suicide several times during his time in the Navy. And in 1986, he's only 26 at this point, an attempt got him discharged. Having left the military, Charles was once again at a fork in the road with little motivation to keep moving forward. However, after meeting and marrying his wife, Adrian Taub, he was inspired to keep going in a search for a fresh start. Charles decided on a drastic career change by deciding to enroll in nursing school. And he attended the Mountainside School of Nursing in Montclair, <laughs> New Jersey. Now, do you know- Know about the Mountainside School? Oh, here, hold on. Oh, oh. Mountainside uh, School I, of Nursing. I know Mountainside really well. I, oh. I didn't know there was a school of nursing there, but I know Mountainside mm-hmm. uh, in Montclair, New Jersey. As I said, we're very close. Yep. And began working at Barnabas Medical Center as a nurse's assistant in 1987. So much like his experience in the military, at first. Charles was the ideal nurse. Wait, why am Tar- I thinking about... Sorry to interrupt you, but why am I thinking about you? 1987. I'm not born yet. I know, but imagine like a year before your mom... I'm just assuming like maybe she's pregnant. I don't know, whatever. And she's like getting treated... Like what if your mom was treated by this guy? Okay. Well, we never went to Mountainside. How do you the know? Hospital, but yeah, that would be fucking crazy. Crazy. That would be fucking I'm, I'm just, crazy. Mom, I'm just thinking. Let me know. Yeah. Mom, let me know. Go ahead. I wonder if my mom was aware of this at the time. We should. We, we need well to talk to your mom. Obviously, we need to bring her on no. the show. Well, he Did you say hard. no? <laughs> I said no. I said no. I I didn't say no. Oh, I thought you were like no. Uh, no, she would love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Again, Charles was an ideal work, no, ideal nurse, excuse me, when he first started. He worked hard, he earned the trust of his peers. But after about a year, he began to slip. He said that he found himself fantasizing about raiding the medication closets and using the drugs Ugh. to kill himself. I mean, you know, think of the chemistry sets when he was a kid. Now he sort yeah. of has ample opportunity and ample supplies. About a year after getting hired, Charles committed his first murder. On June 11th, 1988, I uh, uh, was but a weep up. Uh, 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 what are we going to learn here? 
Judge John Yango Sr. was rushed to the hospital mm. after he began having a violent allergic reaction to a new blood thinning medication he had been prescribed to help treat his high blood pressure. Charles ended the judge's life by injecting a lethal amount of the same drug into his sailing bag, killing him in a painful but quick manner. <sighs> Given his reason for admission and the severity of the allergic reaction, the death was not seen as odd or investigated further. I do kind of wonder, and I wonder if we could talk to a psychologist about this, of like, there doesn't seem to be, at least what we know in our research, of of Charles turning this on other people. Like, again, like, maybe he's an oddball, wearing the, wearing the gown, switching careers, suicide attempts on himself. But there doesn't seem to be any harmful behavior to other people. That being said, he was bullied, so maybe it just, just kind of acts out in a different way. You know, maybe now he feels like he's in a position of power that he can act out on other people. But I do sort of wonder what that switch is, because it's not like all people who commit suicide want to harm other people. Yeah, you know, definitely it's not. really a focus on themselves. So I'm just kind of curious. I wonder if it had to do with just the op- where preparation meets opportunity in a weird way. Yeah, and yeah, I completely agree with you. And I can't help but just wonder which hospital you were born in. I mean, listen, this is all happening in your neck of the woods, you know, within I mean, probably... Mountainside is a yeah. minute from me. Uh, I was born in Englewood Cliffs, Englewood, okay. New Jersey. So all right. it was an Englewood hospital. So, yeah. All right. We're going to keep an eye out for that name as we uh, proceed no, through today's Lord, show Megan, a little bit. Megan. <laughs> well, over the next four years, Charles tragically ended the lives of 11 patients in a similar manner, manner each time injecting their saline IV bags with insulin or lethal amounts of drugs, causing the patient to go into cardiac arrest and die. Now, listen, I think one thing we should talk about is at the very least, and I don't want to speak about suicide in the sense of like knowing the parameters around it. But what I think we can now say is that he seems to be obsessed with death in some capacity, right? It's He's not killing himself. He's attempting him to do that. And now he's completely changed, I guess you could say, his focus over to... 11 different patients that he's he's murdered you know and it's absolutely and that's a lot i mean that's a that's a serial killer yeah absolutely it is well due to the naturally fast pace of the hospital it took some time before anyone became even suspicious of the spike in deaths i mean let's not forget it's the early it's the late 80s a lot of things are going on in the late 70s and late 80s in terms of death. So after all people die, excuse me, after all people die in hospitals every day, which allowed Charles to continue murdering patients while still remaining undetected. Now, towards the end of 1991, the hospital began noticing the rising amount of deaths and started investigating into their cause. They discovered that several of those saline IV bags in storage had been contaminated and shot with additional fluids. This I don't know if I I'll ever be able imagine. to be on an IV bag, by the way, ever again. Well, I can't imagine like HR at a hospital. <laughs> like I can't imagine what oversight right? it really requires because like Yeah. You know, like the thing is is there's so much trust in that industry that obviously, totally. you know, on the most part, people aren't doing this. Like doctors aren't doing this, right? Like but of people course. do die every day with the best doctors. Mm-hmm. really trying with no, you know, but think of how much doctors probably get sued so much for, you know, mismanagement negligence. or negligence mm-hmm. or, 
doing the wrong thing or not doing it enough. Like I imagine the pressure for a doc, obviously this guy's doing it purposely, but just like think about it on the regular. Like if someone dies and you feel like they shouldn't have, oh my God, let alone like this type of thing where there's contamination of a fucking fluid that's going to save your Mm -hmm. life. Like wild stuff. And I obviously I'm no expert on this either, but it does make you wonder even in the late eighties, like maybe, um, accountability practices and best practices were not as stringent as they are now. Remember, this is before the internet. So there's not, you know, there is a paper trail, but it's probably easier to destroy the paper trail, et cetera. So you do have to think about all of that stuff as well. Um, It was also conveniently, by the way, at this time that Charles decided it was time for him to move on to another hospital, Darren, and he went to the Inglewood Cliffs. I'm just kidding. Um, He officially Uh. resigned. from his position at Barnabas Medical Center in January 1992, about one month after the hospital began their investigation. Now, by 1992, you're you're out and about, right? Like, you're home with mom and dad. You're not hanging out in the hospital. You're not but a I'm newborn. I'm living, right? Like, you're, you're January living. 1992, I'm three and a half. I'm living. Right, I'm living. living. But you're I'm nearby living. because a month after resigning from Barnabas, Charles accepted a job at, maybe you know this place, Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Ring any bells? Okay, so this is actually far from where I grew up, but not that far because I went to college in, uh, literally in eastern Pennsylvania, which is right over the border from New Jersey. And that it. town that we used to go get gas in is Phillipsburg, New oh Jersey. Oh, my God. How many connections to the case can you have in one episode? My goodness. What can I say? What yeah. can I say? Well, during this time, uh, excuse me, during his time working at Warren, Charles murdered three elderly women. Ugh. Again, each woman was injected with a lethal dosage of the heart medication, dioxin, which caused them to go into a cardiac arrest. This is tragic. His final victim from that hospital, hospital, excuse, hospital, his last hospital, attempted to share the identity of her killer before passing, but to no avail. Quote, that sneaky male nurse struck me while I was sleeping, she told family members and other hospital staff before passing away. So she was even aware that something was going on. And I kind of wonder also, especially with being elderly patients, like Mm -hmm. certainly even now, coherent not that all elderly people are incoherent but just like being 34 if i saw a nurse kind of come in and i was getting an iv or fluids and they were switching something up there's inherent trust there of course I'm not, you know i'm not confident i would just even put two and two together necessarily that it was a, totally a, a contaminated saline bag well and so. that's you in the right mind this woman had also suffered from dementia in her old age so the comment was right. not even really taken seriously and was thought to basically be a product of her own mind playing a trick on her i mean Which that's is fucking tragic that people don't uh, believe them because it's like but also like what is the time management and resources there? Like, right. could you believe every accusation from a dementia patient in a hospital? Like, if if they're saying, like, this nurse is trying to kill me and you know that that nurse is good, are you going to uh, yeah. listen to another accusation? Like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And, takes. like, it's also, it, my heart goes out to medical workers where it's like the nurses and yeah. everyone probably need to figure out what to take seriously and what not to take seriously. And it's like... Right. What what can't what do they think is credible? Like how do you even? Uh, That's you know, what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. you can't take everything probably seriously because yeah, how many people probably go in there and want to refuse treatment or saying something right. is wrong just to get away with something? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, precisely. Well, meanwhile, in his personal life, by 1993, Charles and his uh, wife Adrian's marriage was in shambles. The situation came to a head one day when Charles got drunk and the two had a blowout fight. Adrian packed up their two kids and left before filing for divorce later the same day. 
Now, additionally, she filed several domestic violence complaints against Charles, saying that he was an alcoholic who would physically abuse both her and their children. Mm. Now, Charles would later admit that at this point, he desperately wanted to quit nursing. However, he added he, the added expense, excuse me, of child support gave him little option but to continue working. So this is a sad reality here where it's like, well, what's going to happen next? He's got to stay working and he's going to probably keep killing people, right? And who knows what really was going through his mind or if he actually wanted to quit nursing. But you do kind of wonder, like, maybe if he could keep his personal life together and they didn't right. divorce, he could have quit. And maybe these, some of these people would have been saved. It's so hard to say. Like, it it's is. multiverse of just like a little tiny decision kind of gearing your life to other things. But this divorce would only escalate Charles's mental illness, of course, resulting in just more erratic and unpredictable behavior. Although his murders were going unnoticed, Charles was still displaying some very other, like some other very dangerous behaviors. You know, one night after leaving work, Charles broke into the home of a coworker, a single, a single young mother living with her young son, and Charles admitted to forcing his way into their home but did not wake them and simply left. That's odd. Curious okay, as to why sus. and how also he got caught. Following right. the break-in, Charles began stalking this woman. There you go. Following her around both in and out of the workplace and calling and messaging her dozens of times a day. And, you know, Ugh. I do kind of wonder a little bit about this because it's his coworker. So right. it's not like he's really being clever. I'm not sure that's the thought process there either. I feel like it's almost being like a compulsion here. Yeah, and let's not forget. Let's just back up too to the whole investigation into why all these people are are being are dying at these hospitals. They probably haven't even gotten to the point where they've realized it's him yet. So all this, right. you know, we're hearing all these red flags here on the show today, but because we're telling the story in a sequential order, but like I wonder how close they were to maybe being like, oh no, this guy's not normal, and now he's breaking into a coworker's house. Like lots of red flags here, but they might not have been able to put the picture together just yet. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I imagine what this woman felt, kind of being stalked here, yeah. and then to find out he broke into the house. But it reached a point where his victim feared for her safety, of course, and decided to bring the issue to the attention of the hospital and the authorities by filing an official complaint. Charles admitted to breaking into the woman's house and was arrested for trespassing. So he does admit it, and I'm <laughs> sure. not saying so, therefore he's good, but like at least there's some kind of accountability here. A little bit, yeah. Less than two days after his arrest, Charles made another unsuccessful attempt on his own life, at which point he was admitted into a psychiatric hospital for treatment, which seems to be something he probably needed all along. Right. He spent the next two months out of work while he received professional help with his mental health. And by December of 1993, Charles felt that once again it was time for him to change <laughs> oh workplaces. God. In 1994, he resigned from his position at Warren Hospital, obtained a Pennsylvania medical license, and attempted a job at Hunter Medical Center. According to his confession, Charles did not commit any murders during his first two years at Hunter Medical. Did you, are you aware of Hunter Medical? Did you have drinks with the lead doctor there one not day? That, not that I, I mean, know of. Okay. Not that I know of. All right. It, it's worth noting, however, that there is no way to definitively prove that his statement here is true. Yeah. And we don't really have any reason to believe that he didn't commit any murders his first two years at mm -hmm. Hunter Medical. However, you'd think that, like, why would he not admit that if he's sort of talking about the rest? But right. when police went to investigate much later on, they found that all the documents had been destroyed from that time oh, period. Oh, how convenient. And whether this is an unfortunate coincidence or Charles's attempt at covering his own tracks is we kind of unknown. Yeah. And 
it's not like it couldn't have happened. Like there's really no evidence to show that he was sort of being deliberate about this. So mm-hmm. we can't really even say if just like, yes, it's convenient, but it could just be a weird coincidence. Yeah, totally. Well, listen, during the first nine months of 1996, however, Charles did admit to killing five different patients by overdosing them with dioxin before resigning and moving hospitals yet again. Now, he found work again. And by the way, like, who's he admitting this to? Like, are they on to him? Like, this is a lie. We'll get to it. He found work at Morris Hospital, but was fired in August of 1997 due to poor performance and missed shifts. His depression was becoming overwhelming again, and Charles felt he was drowning in the pressure of being a nurse. Mm. After being fired, Charles remained uh, unemployed for a total of six months where his depression and alcoholism gained even more control as he failed to make child support payments and slipped further and further into mental uh, mental illness. Snowball, snowball, snowball. Yeah, and, like, it's just weird to me to think that, like, you know you've killed all these people, but you're still worried about your child support payments you know, like for, for me, I'm like, well, where, what are your priorities when you've killed all these people and you know that you've done it? Well, first off, I think mental illness, like you and I don't have totally. That. And so yeah. I think, you know, being cognitively maybe on the normal spectrum of what people are, it's really hard to judge. Compartmentalization is huge, you mm-hmm. know, in these types of situations. Like it really is huge. You could almost feel like you're living this bifurcated life of being this other person where he yeah. might still actually care about his personal life and also doing that. So it's, it's really, it really is hard to say. And I'm not saying that I have empathy for him. I'm just saying that, like, I'm not confident his thought process is quote unquote normal for him to yeah, be like, that's well, true. I killed five people, but I got to help my kid out. I don't, I don't know if it's that, you know, right. I don't know if it's that thought process. Right. I. That's a good point. But I don't know if it is. Yeah, exactly. Well, one episode um, landed him in the Warren Hospital emergency room where he sought help with his depression yet again. Charles was institutionalized again, but only remained in the hospital for a short time before he was discharged and sent back to work, apparently displaying little to no mental health improvement. It was around this time that neighbors began noticing Charles acting oddly he could be spotted chasing stray cats around outside at night. Well, Darren, that's, a connection that's, to the case. That's, <laughs> uh, Darren's done that quite a few times in her day. Did that? Did that today? Making strange faces at people again. Okay, Darren. Again. This is Darren, and having loud conversations with people only he could see. Well, listen. Uh, I mean, as far as you're having a loud conversation not, with your computer and my face is on. As it. George Costanza said in Seinfeld, "It's not a lie if you believe it." <laughs> if you believe it, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, in February of 1998, Charles found employment at the Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania, also near the border of New Jersey. I know it. Well, I've been there before. I've driven through there to New York and back a million, billion times, where he worked in a unit that specialized in caring for patients requiring ventilators. Oh, boy. Which is sadly a a contraption we all are familiar with in a pandemic, post-pandemic world. Are we... Are we considering it post-pandemic? Probably not at this point. I I actually think, I mean, Biden said the pandemic was over, and I think it's now (laughs) something that we just live with. I don't. I agree. I think the, I think normal life, quote unquote, not for everyone, but I think has returned. I don't think you can. To the public. Yeah, exactly. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. But anyway. No, go for it. Good little update there. But anyway, only eight months after getting hired, Charles was fired from Liberty for suspicious behavior when he was spotted walking into a patient's room with syringes in his hand. Hmm. The patient broke his arm fighting with Charles, but was fortunately not injected with anything. 
And this was the first time there was any documentation of Charles's medical misconduct with his patients. He was officially fired for, quote, giving drugs to patients at unscheduled times, end quote. Huge red flag. I mean, what more can you, you know, say at this point? Um, Not to mention he's admitted to some other things. So, like, where are we with that? Let's find out. Despite this being a very serious offense, it was still easy for Charles to continue finding work at other facilities. I remember we've done another, maybe a couple shows now where, you know, it was like a nurse who was doing something similar with injections. And the nurse was always able to find more jobs. And I'm like, are you people not vetting these but employees? It's hard to say again, like it's probably really difficult. To yeah. Suss In the 1998. Out. Yeah, that's a good point, right? You know, and like, yeah, then or, you know, without cameras or anything like that. I'm kind of impressed that someone could kind of spot him walking into some place <laughs> with a lot of syringes because you kind of have to pay attention to that if that's kind of happening at a hospital. Everything's kind of hustle and bustle. People have syringes in their hands. They got this and that. Like, I'm kind mm-hmm. of impressed that someone kind of caught him doing that and the patient had the wherewithal to fight back. Yeah, absolutely. Without any type of system in place to warn other hospitals, About this misconduct and lack of communication between uh, the employers, Charles was allowed to basically continue his cycle of working somewhere new and successfully staying under the radar, murdering patient after patient. Really despicable human. Well, his next employer was Elston Hospital, uh, where he worked from November of 1998 to March of 1999, killing another patient on December 30th, 1998, mm. uh, with dioxin. Following the patient's death, an autopsy was conducted, and over three times the lethal amount of dioxin was found, leading the hospital so, wow. to suspect that this death was no accident. I mean, that's a lot. That's not mismanaging a vial. Um, you know, that's right. quite a bit, especially with something that has dioxin, which obviously needs to be, you know, controlled mm-hmm. an investigation began but they were unable to identify any suspects and the progress stalled and eventually concluded now shortly after the investigation formally ended charles resigned and began working <laughs> in the burn unit at lehigh valley oh, hospital right lehigh was a very big rival to lafayette Uh-oh. Right? Okay. i think i know where this is is this the one do you know where this hospital is is it right off of the interstate I think it's the one that's right off the interstate. I think so. Okay. I, I, I think so. But um, it, it is a it's a pretty big hospital. Yeah. Um, so he went to go work at the burn unit at Lehigh Valley Hospital where he would go in to murder one patient and attempt to murder another in late 1999. And, you know, also if he's switching places quickly enough, you know, it's a little bit of catch me if you can. Like they might not have had the wherewithal to really track it. He might have been gone before they could even track it. And then it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Um, in 2000, Charles attempted suicide again by bringing a charcoal grill with him into the bathtub. He lit the grill in hopes that the fumes from the charcoal would render him unconscious and kill him. I never, I was like, how did that even happen? Yikes. Okay. But like, why bring it into the bathtub? I don't, who knows? By the way, I looked it up. Lehigh is right off of Interstate 79 for anyone who lives in the Pennsylvania area. Driven by it a million times. it down. Um. (laughs) That was what we used to say about about Lehigh. All right. Yeah. Well, his <laughs> attempt was unsuccessful, and some neighbors noticed some black smoke billowing out of Charles's bathroom window and called the fire department, who oh rescued boy. him from the bathroom and brought him to a psychiatric hospital. This was by far Charles' shortest stay in any psychiatric ward. He was back homeless in 24 hours after the incident. 
Obviously, Charles was establishing a clear pattern in his murders. He had narrowed down to a science what drug to inject, when to inject it, and most importantly, when to leave before others became suspicious. Well, Just, right. That's a good point. Didn't even think of that. Perhaps he became too comfortable in this pattern. For the remainder of his career, his killings were increasingly sloppy. You know, they're going to get something wrong eventually. People can get way too comfortable in something. Yeah, and after, yeah. After leaving Lehigh Valley, Charles began working in the cardiac unit of St. Luke's Hospital. It was here that coworkers first began noticing how often patients seemed to die around Charles. However, that was not always the case. Yeah, much like he had at every other hospital, he would spend the first few months of his employment being the ideal worker to earn, to earn the trust of his peers. One day, a fellow nurse noticed a few vials of unused medications stashed in a disposable, excuse me, a in a disposal bin. That was, for some reason, very hard for me. Um, she was confused as to why anyone would steal these particular drugs as they had no street value or recreational purpose. That was my point about, or what I was thinking about the dioxin. We're hearing a lot about dioxin, but that's not like something you're hearing about taking over the streets, so to speak. And also, you know, we sort of mentioned this a few times where we haven't made a point of it. You know, as to your point, as he's moving, he's kind of being a good boy for the first two or three months, gaining the trust of people that people are kind of kind of yeah. overlook him because they trust yeah. him. You know, he came from so many other places like he should be good to go. Yeah. So that's not to be overlooked. That's been my approach to my job place as well. You know, yeah, just, just be the good boy. Up. See what happens yeah. after that. Exactly. Well, a short investigation would reveal that Charles had been the one to steal and hide the medications, resulting in him being fired from St. Luke's. Prior to this incident, nobody suspected Charles of doing anything malicious or out of place in the hospital. This theft stood out to them, though, and it caused several of the other nurses to start asking questions. By the way, don't mess with a nurse. They're very Never. smart. They know what they're up to. Like, don't try them. Well, not Charles here. Not this yes. one, yeah. Over seven nurses came together to meet with the Lehigh Valley District Attorney to share their evidence that Charles had been poisoning and killing patients. So not only did they have questions, they got their evidence together and they yeah. were ready to go here. It's uh, almost like a task force that yeah. they needed to elicit. Yeah. Yeah. They noted that Charles worked only 20% of the unit's hours and somehow had been present for over two thirds of the deaths, something that was statistically nearly impossible. So that kind of makes sense here. Like, let's kind of break that down. So they It's certainly odd. It's certainly yeah. odd. He, he didn't work that many shifts, but every shift that he seemed to work exactly. had the deaths kind of around him. While there was not enough evidence to prove objectively that Charles had been responsible, this would not go ignored forever. Over the next three years, he would continue his pattern, moving from hospital to hospital and secretly murdering his patients. Wow. I mean, you do have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. It could just be like, it could just be a weird mathematical coincidence that he had nothing to do with. Seems odd and sussy, mm -hmm. but not, you know, not to be proven objectively. I think for me though, if a group of nurses go to the Lehigh Valley district attorney and they're saying, Hey, we think at the very least that this guy's up to something, wouldn't then when he's hired in these new places, like wouldn't there be some kind of information before he gets hired to maybe keep a little well, closer I don't know, eye? Because, because no? it's like you can't even when people switch jobs, you can't even talk negatively about That's someone true. anymore. And he so hasn't like, been convicted of anything. You're right. Right. So yeah. like if it is just he can't get a job because of these unlucky circumstances, what if he wasn't? Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, obviously we know he's not, but what if he was? Right. And then you're fucked. Yeah, you know? You're so right. 
Well, in September of 2002, I mean, this is spanning decades at this point, Charles began working at his final place of employment, Somerset Medical Center in Somerset, New Jersey. Don't worry, I don't know. Okay, just checking. Within his first six months, Charles murdered four more people, finally gaining the attention of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System, which flagged these deaths as suspicious, thankfully. Um, It was suggested that perhaps an employee was intentionally administering lethal drugs and poisoning patients. So finally, it took a non, uh, you know, hospital related committee, essentially, to be like, hey, this isn't normal. We need to be looking into this. Yeah. Right. Well, despite being advised to contact the authorities, Somerset Medical ignored this warning for several months, during which Charles was able to murder five more patients. So... That's also negligence on their part. And I'm losing literal, like, I'm not making a joke. I don't know. I can't keep up with how many people this is at this point. I'm sure we're going to get to it in a second as we wrap this up. But sheesh, it's a lot. Well, it's also hard to know what we're tying to him and what not. Because part of that, with records being gone, is going to go through his word only. And so we're never going to know the full number. But along with the murders, Charles's depravity escalated even further as he began having sex with Mm. the deceased patients after killing them. And finally, in October of 2003, after his final That's, victim by the way, passed so away, disgusting. I just, I didn't want to like, yeah, I didn't want to like gloss over that, but I want to make sure I make it very clear that I'm, that is like the most sickest thing that you can do. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. And uh, I mean, we didn't, I don't know how that, maybe his mental illness formed with that, but right. like I was saying, finally in October of 2003, after his final victim passed away, after receiving a lethal injection of dioxin from Charles, authorities were finally contacted. Charles was fired from Somerset Medical on October 31st, 2003, Halloween, four months after the hospital was warned of the possibility that one of their employees was murdering patients. Mm. And after his position was terminated, Charles was kept under close watch by the police who were beginning to circle in on him. On December 14th, 2003, while sitting down at a restaurant with his girlfriend, Charles Cullen was formally arrested for one count of murder and one count of attempted murder and was taken into custody where he promptly confessed to murdering Florian Gall and attempting to murder and attempting the murder of Tin Kayashu Han, two of his patients from Somerset Medical. And here we go. In April of 2004, this doesn't even really cover most of it, but Charles faced 13 counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder in the state of New Jersey. And in November of the same year, he pled guilty to six counts of murder and three counts of attempted murder. Between the two states, Charles was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences. Yay. But, we, but would be awarded an additional six in 2006 due to huh. further findings. Wonderful. Charles, Charles did agree to cooperate with authorities by telling them everything he could, so long as they agreed to not seek the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And once the plea was accepted, police began to find out exactly how far back his crimes went, or at least according to him. In the coming months, Charles confessed to dozens, dozens, dozens. of murders throughout his career as a nurse, spanning over numerous different hospitals and two different states. In total, Charles admitted it, but Charles admitted to murdering 40 different patients. However, authorities fear that number may be as high as 400, making him the most prolific serial killer in New Jersey's history and possibly of all time. Yeah, really. His crimes earned him the nickname The Angel of Death and even inspired the critically acclaimed film The Good Nurse, where it's portrayed by Mm -hmm. famous British actor Eddie Redmayne, which I have seen. And today, Charles Cullen resides in New Jersey State Prison, where he will live out the rest of his life behind bars as he serves out 18 consecutive life sentences. He deserves more than that, clearly. And it's, you know, these are just the... um 
the murders and the details that we can research and that we well, know about. Well, that's why the police are like yeah. potentially 400. Unbelievable. It's really hard to say because, you know, how do you know if a patient died of natural things or, or couldn't have? And that's sort of the, uh, yeah. the interesting thing here about this. But uh, I do sort of wonder, you know, all of these cases that we cover about bullying being such a big thing and having this tragic incident, I sort of wonder how much of murderers are made. Now, not yeah. everyone that has yeah. something tragic happen and then becomes a murder, right? Like, there's obviously mm-hmm. brain yeah. chemistry that's going to happen in there. But I do sort of wonder how much of this potentially could have been prevented. And I don't really know the answer to that. It's hard to it's say, especially with his known mental illness that is documented that we talked about. You know, at the at the age of nine, you're thinking about this type of stuff. Right. Like, that's, that's why I was saying, like, it's very I, clear that he's obsessed with murder. And maybe he doesn't even want to, like... Cause, kill anybody yeah like you know maybe that's, he doesn't want to do that like yeah. because it was on his own life and i kind of wonder if he'd been born in a different time where mm-hmm. mental health was definitely at the forefront but at age of nine if he had different family members if he had different this they could have gotten him the help that he needed and none of this could have happened we're yeah. never gonna know that that's yeah. so multiverse uh in some sort of way but it is yeah. sort of tragic of like how many lives kind of lead down that path that didn't have to so true. Well, let us know what you guys thought about today's episode. You can hit us up at J Thrasher or Carpe Darren on social media. You can hit us up on our Facebook page. And if you are a Patreon member, you can direct message us about your thoughts and we will respond to you there. Um, Darren, let's get into some listener shout outs yeah. to round out this episode. Let's add some some cheer. That was a darker episode than usual. So let's do let's add some cheer. Well, Catherine on Facebook said, quote, started bring, started binging Eminem, <laughs> Martinis and Murder, since I'm all caught up on S&D. Just hearing your two voices makes my day. Aww. And, uh, John, you need to make a statement, and I agree with this, about <laughs> naked pickleball that everyone is tagging you in. John, here is your chance. I need to clear the air. Yeah, that's true. Clear the air. Are you going to do it? Do you have mm-hmm, enough pickleballs mm-hmm, to do it? <laughs> Here, I just first want to say uh-huh. thank you to everyone who continues to tag me in this naked pickleball camp. And I second that. And I second that because seeing that and seeing John Thrasher being tagged it's was a lot. the gift that keeps on giving to me. So it's, thank you. I, I just think it's funny that the photo that's used is like three elderly people with their clothes off. It with, had to be elderly people. And it I'm had just to be. Like, what am I what have I gotten myself into? I open up on the show, I share things with you guys. If and the pickleball fits, sweetie. Then what? Well, then what? Then, then what? Exactly. Then what? then what? I will say I will never, I want to make a statement right now. Um, I will never do naked pickleball because, and I said this to somebody in our Facebook group. First of all, any sport without clothes on is dangerous, let alone yeah. pickleball. Okay, number one. Number two, I'm not trying to get hit in a sensitive area with a pickleball. You know what I'm saying? And I get pelted in the chest and the face every everywhere else as it is playing pickleball. If you're not mm. fast enough, you're going to get hit. So I would like to keep everything uh, intact and where it is. And so, no, I thank you guys. You can you can officially stop tagging me in the naked pickleball uh, situation. If for or some don't. Or don't. or don't and if it, it don't. and if my opinions change on it I will you will be the literal first people to hear the news so I'm just I letting you know I truly hope I'm one of the first yeah. people to you know. you truly. might be the absolute first I'll put it on the agenda before anything else Please do 
Um, by the way, guys, if you love us and you want to support the show, the absolute best way to keep the show going is to sign up to be a Patreon, uh, excuse me, a patron on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can help contribute to our show as independent creators and help us pay our bills. You can get that even cheaper if you sign up annually. And, um, as Darren said, we are doing our Patreon live stream January 19th at 7:30 Eastern time for our truly disturbed and super fan level. So you can sign up anytime between now and then to be invited. Darren, where can they find all that information? I'll be in a nipple clamp dress Darren. and John will be doing Naked Pickleball <laughs> on our live stream just as a incentive. But all links for Patreon can be found in our show notes on patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, all one word. That's right. And of course, the uh, the God, the, the Holy the Spirit behind our show, Megan, must be thanked for all of her research today. So wherever you are, please speak it out with us. One, two, three, Thanks, Megan. Megan. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week for an all-new episode. Not on an all-new NMR, but an all-new episode of Shaken and Disturbed. And again, our Patreon live stream, January 19th at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. Sign up if you are for a uh, truly disturbed or super fan. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm and or suicide, visit sprc.org or in an emergency, press 988. More details about suicide prevention can be found in this episode's show notes.